All right. Well, good evening, and thank you, Jesse and Laura, for that. I appreciate that. And hopefully you're having a good week. If not, now's the time to focus on the Lord and refuel, get ready for the rest of your week. I know the staff's excited. We get a, we get a week off school next week, so we're excited about that. Uh, we got a, we're just looking forward to the break. I'm sure the kids are, too, but they don't realize the staff. We're just as ready as they are, but uh, we're excited about that. But as we look to things, I want to make a few announcements now before I forget them. Uh, one is we are having a good Friday service, but it's going to be online only. Uh, it will be broadcast at 12 o'clock on Friday, but you can always watch it later, like after you get off work if you want, you know, if you want to. And then on Sunday, of course, our Easter services, in the mo- are, we're doing morning services only, and it'll be at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Um, if you have children and you want them to participate in the candy hunt, make sure you come to the 10.30 service, because that's going to be after the 10.30 service. And anybody in here that, uh, if you don't have children, if you could come to the 9 o'clock, that would be helpful to us. As far as space goes, we're expecting a pretty big crowd at 10.30. Uh, we've invited our school families and different people uh, for that service. And so if you can come at nine, that'd be helpful to us. And I know a lot of people want to come to the second service to hear the kids sing. Um, but you could watch that, you know, you could come to the nine o'clock service and then watch the 1030 one online. That would help us out greatly with, uh, seating. Uh, we, we don't know how many to anticipate, but, uh, we just, uh, look forward to a, just what a great day, you know, for a Christian, every day is resurrection day. But, you know, something's just something special about Easter when you just kind of put a little extra emphasis on it. And we think about all, think about all the messages we've heard in the last few weeks that lead us up to this point. And how much, really, it's all about how much our Savior loves us. And he loves us like nobody else. And he knows us like nobody else. And so it's exciting for that. Um, and then just um, kind of an update on Pastor. So for those of you... Um, one is he will not be flying home this Friday, so he won't be here for Easter. Uh, but his goal now is a week from Friday, which is um, April 9th. And so we're, that's where we're praying now. But we don't want him to come home before he's physically ready to make the trip. But he is improving. Uh, the appointment that he had uh, this week, doctors were happy with what they saw as far as improvement goes. And um, he's getting stronger each day. Um, when I talked to him, I talked to him the other day, and he said that, you know, he was straight on oxygen all the way through. Now they're telling him to have two liters of oxygen at night. One liter, I think a liter's right term, I don't know, but one liter during the um, day. And then when he's sitting down like you're doing tonight, listen to the message, they're telling him to take off his oxygen and just let his lungs breathe. And he said, his, I talked to him after he had done it for the first day, and he said it, he was doing much better. He sounds good. It was good to see him on the screen on Sunday, uh, giving us a, encouragement. It was great to see him. We can't wait for him to come home. Uh, but we're excited. He's doing physical therapy still, and then they're going to check him out. I believe Mike told me on Tuesday is when they're going to check him again to make sure he, if he can fly on that Friday. And then please be praying for Peter Mord, our missionary. Uh, he's over there, but he's having some health issues that are non-COVID related. Uh, but if you could lift him up in prayer uh, also for that. And um, his plans were to fly home with Pastor. I don't know if those have changed yet, but hopefully he'll be able to stay there, but let's um, just before we start the message tonight, let's lift Pastor up in a word of prayer, and uh, Peter also. Okay, Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are the great physician, the healer. We thankful for how you've healed our pastor so far. Please continue healing his body, strengthening his lungs, and Lord, uh, we pray that you just continue things going in the right direction. We thank you for all the answered prayer. What a miracle a couple weeks makes. Uh, Lord, what you've done in a couple weeks is just truly amazing. 
And Lord, we pray for Peter. Lord, his, whatever health issues he's facing, I pray that you'd strengthen him and help him as well. Uh, be with his wife, who's here in the States. Lord, just pray for her and encourage her. And then, Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, just, just uh, your will be done in, in, as far as timing uh, to come home and everything. And Lord, but we do give you the praise and the glory for everything you've done. And we're thankful as we look into the Word of God tonight. Lord, give us wisdom. And Lord, as we come up on Easter, help us not just to take for granted what you've done for us and what you've done for the whole world. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And then oh, and, and, and one more announcement, too. Um, tonight, after the service, if you'd like to stay in here for a few minutes, they're going to pray. Michael, come down, and then we'll pray for, have a special word of prayer for Pastor tonight. And then um, until Pastor comes home, every night at 8 o'clock, there's a Zoom where you can get on Zoom. And, and uh, if you need the codes for that, just see one of us. We'll get you the codes. And then every day at 12, either here in the auditorium, uh, every weekday, I'm sorry, Monday through Friday, um, at 12 o'clock right here in the auditorium or on Zoom, uh, if, you're, if you happen to be off work or your lunch hour is that time, you can hop on for a few minutes. It doesn't take long. We don't stay on there long. We just get on there and different people pray and, and lift him up before the Lord. If you can't make the meetings, just pray on your own. You know, like Mike challenges at the very beginning, pray for him morning, noon, and night. And uh, if we'll do that and lift him up. And you know what? I don't know about you. I've spent more time in prayer this last month than I have in a long time. And I'm just being honest. And so, if nothing else, it's increased our faith, it's increased our prayer life, and what a blessing that is, you know, and uh, can't wait for Pastor to get back. I know with many of you, he's shared a few very personal details about what's happened so far, but I can't wait for him to get back and share them with the congregation so that they can see how God's worked in his life, and we're excited about that. Well, tonight, uh, as we get close to Easter here, we're going to look at the seven things that Christ said on the cross. Whenever I get to speak near Easter, that's one of the things I like to speak on. When you think about, it's not the last thing he said on earth. It's the last thing he said before he was put to death on the cross. Of course, when he rose again, he, um, he, he stayed on the earth 40 days showing himself to the disciples, and he talked to different ones of those. So, but you, when you think about the last seven things he said on the cross, Every one of them points to the importance of others in his life. Just, you know, the true humble servant that our Savior was. Every one of these sayings, he's looking out for us as sinners, and he's looking out for specific people. And I think when we look into these tonight, we'll be in the four, well, three of the four Gospels tonight. And um, we're calling this tonight, Cries from the Cross. Um, if you have a study Bible, actually, I have mine in mine. Right in John, I have a Ryrie study Bible, and right in John chapter 19, it has that in my Bible. But if you Google it, there's a whole bunch that comes up. Well, of course, make sure you go to the right site, because, of course, some people are off on their theology. But make sure you're on a good site, and there's different things about the things he said on the cross. It's, it's interesting to look at. But tonight, we're going to start in Luke 23. Luke 23. And um, so as we look at that tonight, we get in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 33. And you can see it's just titled, Father, Forgive Them. Um, this one we're going to see is kind of a blanket. Um, for, when he says, Father, forgive them in this passage, he's, gonna talk, he's talking about the people that put him to death and, and that crucified him and so on. Um, but if you think about it, every one of us is responsible for his death because he had to die for our sin. Because, you know, I don't know if you ever think and you think, why would people put him to death? They were so cruel to him. But when you think about it, 
we, he had to do it because of our sin. So, you know, he, and he, again, he went willingly. We can't forget that. It would not have happened had he not willingly went to the cross. They would have been able, not been able to detain him. In fact, in, in his ministry here on earth, there was a couple times when they were trying to get him, and he just, there's one where he just disappeared right out of their midst, uh, at least the best that we can see in Scripture when we read it. But let's look at the, go ahead and look at the verses. Let's look at verse 33 to start. And it says, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then it says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. I don't know about you, but um, I'm just going to warn you a little bit, Mark. I'm going to move around a little bit tonight, just so you know, just a little bit, not too much. But think about this. He's forgiving the people that beat him, that spit on him, that plucked his beard out, that nailed him to the cross, and he's still going through the suffering. He's still suffering, and he says, Father, forgive them. I don't know about you. I told that story about a week ago when that first day of eighth grade, the boy punched me in the nose. I think I did it Sunday night, and he punched me in the nose. First day of eighth grade, broke my nose, all out of whack and bleeding. I didn't even punch back, and I got suspended, same as the other kid. I got suspended from school, and I didn't even throw a punch, and it was, I, was, I didn't think that was fair. I will guarantee you very much that while my nose was broken and I was bleeding, I wasn't thinking about forgiving the other boy. What I was thinking in the flesh was, please let me go so I can uh, you know, take care of this. You know, because it was just a surprise. We weren't in an, even in a fighting situation. And the, the, I found out later in the school year, I don't think I said this on the thing, I found out later in the school year, him and I knew each other for many years before that. And he, they, had merged, they had merged us into one school. And he decided to do it just to prove he was tough so the other kids would leave him alone. And uh, we made amends later in the year. But I'm going to say it was much later. And uh, I didn't trust him from that day on. I never trusted him again. But I remember thinking, I'm getting suspended. I didn't even, you know, I didn't even do anything. I didn't get a chance to fight back because the school officials grabbed us and we both went to the office. They called our parents in. We both got suspended. And I was like, what, you know, is this like a whirlwind? I'm like, what happened? That was, that was a great first day of eighth grade. You know, it was exciting, you know. Uh, but, you know, I think of Christ, you know, I can't even compare that broken nose to what Christ did, obviously. I mean, it's not even a comparison. It's like a, like a little flick compared to what he went through. But, you know, you think about that, having somebody spit on you. I don't know in your life if you've ever had anybody spit on you. I have. It's very, uh, no matter who does it, it's very disgusting. Um, and I don't mean to spit like when you're talking. I'm talking about literally spit on. Um, I've never had my, I can't say I've ever had my beard plucked, but just to pull a hair. <laughs> Ladies, you're probably better at it than us. Okay, but just to pull one hair out of your, out of your head, you know, how much pain that causes, but to have it literally torn out. And by the way, I'm not trying to make fun at all of anything Christ went through. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm making a little humor about what I've been through, but I'm not making any humor about what Christ went through. But, you know, when you think about getting, getting blindfolded and beaten, and then being, Mike talked a little bit when he preached last about how they, scour, they scourged them or whipped them, you know, and they had the metal things on there that ripped the back, and, you know. And it's, it, nobody likes to think about it. I mean, you think about it, but you, you don't let your mind go all the way into what that is. But I know uh, on one of my studies, when I was studying for a recent message, there was a link you could go to, and a doctor explained what he would have physically went through. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Some people have preached on that before or played them. But it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's horrendous what he went through. 
And then it says his visage or his face was marred more than any man. All of you have seen like a, a boxing match or something and the, how bad somebody looks after a boxing match. In fact, even the winner usually looks bad after a boxing match, but you know, the loser, his face is just thrashed. But you know, when we think about all that was for love, but do you get that he's forgiving them right when he's still in all that pain? His back's still ripped up when he's doing that. You know, he's still hurting from the beating he took. He's still hurting from his beard being plucked from his face, but he looks and he says these words. Again, in verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them, and look what he says, for they know not what they do. Guess what? That's what you and I were like before we got saved. We did things, I mean, I look back to things I did, you know, before, and of course, I got saved at 12, but I was a baby Christian until I was 19. In high school, I didn't live for Christ, definitely. Not until I was about 19 did I start really living for the Lord. But, you know, I, I think of those things, and I, and I think, why I would have, knowing what I know after I became a Christian, I would have never, well, I can't say I would have never, because we're all sinners, but I mean, I would have never done some of the things I did had I really thought it through. You know, but you see, see Christ just saying, Father, forgive them. Remember, everything he did was an example for us, too, to forgive people. Um, there's been times in my life where it's taken me a long time to forgive somebody. I mean, that's, that's, that's happened. But I've always, I can't think of anybody right now in my mind, and this is honest, I can't think of anybody in my mind right now I, I haven't been able to forgive in my life. I mean, I've always forgiven them, but it's taken time for some things. But, you know, you, you all know people that won't forgive. What are they usually like? They're usually bitter, and they're angry. And there's nothing wrong with being a little angry sometimes, but bitter, bitterness just robs you of your joy. You know, in fact, pastor tells, tells, tells us all the time as a staff, and I think he's even said it in church, he said, when you let other people control how you feel, then you've given them the power of the joy in your life. They rob you of the joy of Christ. See, we don't have to go down that route, you know. Um, and you see it in things. But Christ says in this first one, he just says, He's teaching us how to forgive really the most despicable thing that could ever happen to us. And, and what he went through, it was much greater. But, you know, for him, you've got to think of, think about it. He was the creator of the people that are, that are doing all that to him. He created them. He gave them life. Just like he breathed into Adam the, uh, to, to his nostrils the breath of life, he did the same thing for everybody. Good or bad. And remember, he died for everyone's sins, whether they accept him as Christ, as their Savior or not. And so when you think about that, just how great a love is that? It's beyond human love, obviously. And you just think about the love that our Savior had for us to do that. To go through that, all so that we could be reconciled to God and have a beautiful home in heaven. And you know, I think Mike said it Sunday, or somebody did, Sunday's coming. You know, Sunday is coming. Easter's coming. See, we, we, right now we're focusing on his death and his burial, but we know the story. Sunday's coming where he rose again, and it's, he, you know, he's forever seated at the right hand of Father. Now, we obviously know he's going to come down. In the rapture, he's going to come to get us, and then we know that he's going to come down for the millennial reign, where we know he's coming down for the final battle and all those kind of things, but Christ is seated back up in heaven, and he says he's going, he went to prepare a place for us. And just how exciting, how great his love is, and how great an example. Uh, we looked at one of those verses um, last week where it said, 
uh, that, um, that, that he was tempted. And it also said we have a high priest that knows our infirmities. He was, a, he was God in the flesh, so he knows every, anything you've been through, he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to have a lot of pressure on him. You know, because we all have pressure and stress and all those kind of things. He knows that because he went through more stress than any of us, you know. Uh, you know, many of you, you know, always sweated drops of blood. You know, it was so intense. And so as you think about all those things, but he says here, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let's go to the second thing. We're going to jump around a little bit. We're still going to be in Luke, actually, 23. On uh, the second one here, he says, uh, you see up here today, uh, but he's talking to the thief or to the malefactors that mentions it in the Bible. But look right down to Luke 23. Um, let's actually look at, um, starting in verse 39, verse 39, and it says, And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other disciple, um, or the other disciple, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that, <laughs> but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We all know the story, don't we? There's two guys that are deserving of their crimes. There's three people there at Calvary being put to death. And Christ is in the middle. It says in the Bible that you've got one on one side, one on the other. If you read the different accounts in Scripture, at the beginning, both of the thieves railed on him. They're just, they're just like digging digs at him. They're dying the same death he is, but they're, they're just digging on him. But at some point, one of them realizes that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he, while they're hanging there on the cross, he says to Jesus that he wants to get saved. And you know what? I don't know about you, but if it had been me, I'd be like, hey, I've got my own problems over here, okay? I'm dying, I'm bleeding just like you. But he says there, you know, in, in 39, it just mentions that one does, and it says, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. And us. So they're, they're trying to get physically out of the situation they're in. And rightly so. If you were hanging on the cross, you'd want to get out of that situation too. And then in verse 40, the other answered and rebuked him, saying, does thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? So one thief starts, first they're both railing on Christ. It, it says that in another, in another area. But then here it says one of them wakes up and says, hey, what, what are you doing? He says, don't you fear God? You're about to die. You know, in our day and age, we call it, you know, you hear things like, you're about to meet your maker. You better be right with God. You know, but he says to him, he says, don't you even fear God? You're, you're in the same condemnation. We're all three going to have the same fate today. We're all dying today. He says, don't you even fear God in death? You know, not about you, but in my lifetime, I've seen many people close to death that didn't know Christ. And not all of them, but some, they, they get saved at that very last minute. You know, last few minutes of their life, they just realize, maybe you've been witnessing to them for years, and all of a sudden, they, they realize, man, they're, they're right about this thing. You know, because for a while, you know, you know how it is through your life. 
the younger you are, the more invincible you think you are. You think, I'm, I'm just, by the time you get up to my age and beyond, you start thinking, well, I guess it's pretty close. You start hearing, hey, so-and-so I went to high school with just died of a heart attack. Hey, so-and-so I went to high school with just, and pretty soon you're starting to think, oh, whoa, this is interesting. You know what, I mean, we're, I guess I am getting older and I'm going to die someday. You know, but you don't really think about it till you start, you know, getting a little bit older. And I'm sure, you know, we don't, of course, none of us know how old we really are, right? Because we could die at any time, right? So it doesn't matter whether young or old. I mean, anybody could die any time. But if you live a normal life, you figure that. And so he says, we're in the same condemnation. It's all happening. And then verse 41, the thief says to the other one, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. In other words, Christ has done nothing wrong. So he says, we deserve this. At least the one was smart enough to know they deserved it. They said, hey, we, we know we deserve this. But he says, this guy didn't do anything. And you're picking on him? And then it says in verse 42, he, the thief then turns to Jesus. He's been talking to the other thief. Now he turns to Jesus and he says, he says to him, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Remember what we talked about when somebody gets saved? It's not the exact words or prayer that saves somebody. It's their, it's their belief in Christ. You all get saved the same way. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not teaching a new doctrine here, okay? We all get saved by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But, you know, we lead people in the sinner's prayer, but it's not, they don't have to say those exact words, word for word, to come into it. And believe me, by the time somebody says it with their mouth, the conversion's already taken place in their heart. They're just verbally expressing it. In other words, they've already accepted Christ in their heart, but they're saying it out loud to, to do that. And then by the time they get baptized, that's really, I mean, you know, they've, they've already been saved. The baptism's not saving them. It's just outwardly they're telling people, hey, I've become a Christian. And it, it makes us accountable. Once I tell you I've got saved, or once you see me get baptized after I got saved, I'm accountable to you. So if I start living the wrong way or going doing things against the Bible, then what the Bible says to do, somebody's supposed to come to me one-on-one, -on -one, and then if I don't correct myself, uh, then a couple come and see me, and then if not, you know, I, I might get chastised in front of the whole church, you know, is really what the Bible's talking about. But, you know, the truth is, this thief, he just said, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He acknowledged Christ in his rightful position. He called him Lord. Remember what the other people called him? They called him rabbi. They called him teacher. This man says, Jesus, Lord. He acknowledges that Jesus is the Lord of his life. He, he's put his faith and trust here in Jesus. And look what instantly, he hasn't even died yet. And look at verse 43. Jesus says unto him, Verily or truly, I say unto thee, Today shall thou be with me in paradise. Man, wouldn't that be, you know, you're hanging there on the cross, you know you're going to die, but wouldn't those be comforting words to hear? He cries out to the Lord, and he's probably thinking, he, remember, he hasn't been trained in the Scripture, in the Old Testament Scripture. He hasn't been trained in Christ. He's probably thinking, I'll ask, but the answer is probably no. That's probably what that thief is thinking. He's probably thinking, I'll ask, but it's probably too late. And so, but he asks, and Christ says, hey, today, no waiting, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. By the way, there's people out there that teach that when you die, you don't get to go to heaven right away. This verse is one of the ones that proves that's not true. Instantly, pastor says it all the time, your last breath here, your first breath there. Now, I don't know if we'll need to breathe in heaven. I have no idea, but it's, it's, just, the th it's just knowing that you'll instantly be in heaven. You'll have that new glorified body. It's just, it's instant. There's no in-between. 
There's nothing in between. You go straight to heaven. And it says today he's going to be with him in paradise. And then um, as, we, as um, we look at that and we look at that, Christ is dying, but he takes time to be concerned for this man's soul. And by the way, he's just as concerned about the other thief that's hanging on the other side, by the way. But this is where free will comes in, right? They both had free will. Both those men died the same death. They both had the same opportunity. The one thief asked Christ, and Christ said, Today you'll be with me. If the other one would have reached out and said the same thing, they would have been both in heaven. But based on this count we have in Scripture, we know that one of them went to heaven and the other one went to hell. I mean, it's just a blunt way to say it, but it's the truth. Based on what we know in Scripture, one of them became a Christian and the other one did not. And by the way, it's just like what Scripture teaches about. You know, uh, when, it, w- w- when it talks about uh, things like even the rapture of the church, it says one will be there and one will be taken and the other one won't. Why? Because that one's a Christian and that one's not. And so, it's, it, you know, Scripture's full, full of verses that, that point to that. And so... Um, both of them had the same opportunity. Only one took him up on it. And so that's pretty. So, so he forgave those that put him to death. And now he's given one of the ones that was hung next to him. He gave, gives him salvation. Let's look at, um, let's go over to the book of John, uh, chapter 19. John chapter 19. And um, we're going to look at um, his mother now. Uh, we looked at this a little bit. I believe I mentioned this versus either Sunday or last Wednesday. I can't remember which, or whenever it was that I did it. But this is where he cares for his mom. In verse 26, it says this. John 19, 26 says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour... That disciple took her unto his own home. Now, I want you to see this. It's obviously the care of his mother. He's going to be gone this day also, as far as alive on this earth. Uh, and then he's going to be put to, put to, he's finished putting him to death. He's going to be put in the tomb. He's going to rise three days later. Then he, he is going to be showing himself for 40 days to different believers. But as far as physically in the flesh, this is it for him. So you know what? He cares about Mary. I want you to go back in your minds all the way kind of to the Christmas story where Mary has the angel visit her and, he t- and, the, and the angel tells her that she's highly favored and, and, then, and he tells Mary that you're basically that you're going to have Jesus, the Savior of the world. And then he, he comes, the angel comes separately to Joseph and tells him it's okay to marry, to marry her. It's okay. And you think about these two extremely young people, Mary and Joseph, extremely young, and God has chosen them to be the earthly parents for Jesus. And you could, you know, they were chosen for a reason. And you and I are chosen to do certain things for Christ in this world, and, and we're chosen for a reason. See, I'm not, I'm not chosen to be up here tonight to sing a song, because that's not my talent. I'm not chosen to walk over to the piano like Laura does and play that beautifully on the piano. That's not my talent. I'm not chosen to do that. Um, I'm not, I, I come up here and preach sometimes, but I have not been chosen to be a pastor. Our pastor is the pastor of this church. But God's allowed me to speak sometimes and to teach, but 
you know, I'm not a pastor. But, you know, I have specific things that God's called me to do in my life, and you have specific things that God's called you to do in life. And Mary and Joseph had a specific call on their lives. Mary was not chosen because she was perfect. My personal belief is Mary was chosen because of her heart and her attitude. And same with Joseph, obviously, Joseph and Mary. And obviously we know there's the lineage, obviously. I mean, it's in the scripture. <laughs> uh, we have Christ's uh, um, parental lineage on both sides. And so as you think about that, but I want you to think back when Mary was first told she would have Jesus. At that point, she probably had no idea what all was going to happen and what was she was going through on this day back when, Christ, when the angel told her she was going to be having Jesus. And one thing about Mary, I believe she was very deeply spiritual. And one of the reasons I believe that is because it says this about Mary in the Bible. Every time Mary was told something or saw something about Jesus, it said Mary pondered these things in her heart. You know what that tells me? She over and over again thought about God choosing her and thought about what she was going to go through and thought about the event that was happening. And Mary was very, not only as the mother of Christ, but you've got to realize, do you understand that Mary had to come to get saved the same way you and I do? She had to get saved by putting her faith that her son was the Savior of the world. She had to get saved the same way. And when you think about that, and I don't know, to be honest, I can't tell you if she was saved before or after she had Christ. I don't know. Maybe some of you know. Maybe it's in there and I just haven't seen it. But, you know, Mary could have got saved before she ever was chosen. Or maybe she got saved after. Think about the disciples. I truly believe that some of them, when he called them to follow him physically here on this earth, I don't believe they knew who he really was yet. And all of them had to come to Christ the same way you and I do. They had to put their faith in him. Remember, Old Testament, as far back as Adam and Eve, they had to believe that the, the Messiah was coming. And the people alive when Christ was there had to believe he was the Messiah. You and I look back to the cross and trusted that he is the Savior of the world. And so we all get saved the same way. But you think of Mary. He looked to his disciples and said, hey, this is your mother now. And this is, what did that mean? From that day, she's going to go stay in his house. He's going to treat her just like mother. I don't know about you, but in my life, I've been fortunate to have two women that I call my mother. One is my mom that gave birth to me, and a wonderful mother she was. She accepted Christ before she passed away, thank goodness, and I'll see her again in heaven. But, you know, my second mom is my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law I've known since, you know, I was in my early 20s, and that's Margaret Hawk. She's become, she's become my second mother. You know, and um, I've been fortunate to be loved by both of these women. And, but I, I just imagine Christ being there and just thinking, I wish I was going to be around longer to take care of my mother. But you know, he did the next best thing. He took somebody that he really trusted and he said to them, take care of her. That's what he's really saying. This is your mother, take care of her. He took care of his earthly mother from, the, from really forever. I mean, he created her obviously, but I mean, from the time it was announced that she was going to have that, she took care of them all along the way. Or he took care of them, I'm sorry, all the way along the way. And so, think about this. Okay, we're only three things in, and, and Christ has already been concerned about everybody that put him to death and put him through all that. Then he's been very concerned for the two men that are hanging on each side of him. 
And now he's taking care of his mother. All I can say to that is, what great love. To be going through what he was going through physically and to be thinking about other people. You know, in one of the short conversations I had with Pastor, we were talking about Paul Westfall that passed away, that played pro basketball, and he died of brain cancer just, just recently, I believe it was January, when he passed away. And, uh, of course, you guys kind of know the story that, that he coached my, my uh, Bible college team. But one thing about Westfall that was apparent over all the things, he had an impact on everybody, Christian or non-Christian, by the way he, um, the way he um, was in life towards people. And when he was going through the brain cancer, he was, everybody that got up there, in fact, the doctor that worked on him, even up to the very end, said, the moment I walked in that room, there was something about, different about him, his wife, and his family. You know what the difference was that doctor saw? It was Christ. And I thought, I remember Pastor, some of you have heard that Pastor, told, when he did that checkup this week, the doctor looked at his x-rays, and he, he, he saw that COVID was all throughout Pastor's lungs. And he said to him, why did you come over to Dubai? And Pastor told him, I came over to preach in a couple of churches and all those kind of things. And the doctor, I don't know if the doctor was a Christian or not, but the doctor said to him, God's healed you. Or that was God that did that because of the way his lungs were. And so that's, that's just amazing. You know, it's amazing that, that God just cares to every little detail. God cares, but, he, but Pastor told me, he goes, I thought about Paul Westfall and how gracious he was to everybody. So he goes, no matter how I felt in the hospital, he says, I was gracious to everybody because I want those nurses and doctors to see Christ in me. And you know what? I thought, that's what he goes, I kept thinking of your friend, Paul Westfall, and how he was during those last days and how gracious he was to everybody. And he says, I just tried to be that way. He goes, I just tried to be that way so that all the nurses that encountered me, all the medical staff, he goes, I just want them to see that. And you know, that's pretty, pretty neat the way Christ will work in a person's heart. Remember what the Bible says about us? All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? So that means when we even try to do what's right on our own, it's just like we mess it up. But you know what? Don't forget, what purifies us is the blood of Christ. So when we let him help us with the righteousness to do what's right, then it's done right. I mean, you don't have not to use the word right so many times, but it's really what it is. Righteousness is just a fancy word for doing what God says is right. And we're only going to be righteous through the blood of Christ, which is what he did for us at Calvary. And so, you know, it's just good, good stuff. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, we're going to go into the book of Matthew. We're going to come right back to John 19. So keep your place there if you want. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 27 for the next point, or for the next saying. So Matthew 27. And this time it gets, it gets personal. And if you just look at it on the surface, you're thinking that he's thinking about himself. But it's totally the opposite of that when we get into it here. So, but when you first read it, you're thinking, okay, wait a minute, Theo. You told me that all seven things that he said on the cross were about other people, but this looks like it's about him. Well, let's look into it just a minute here. In um, Matthew 27, verse 46, it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. 
And um, of course, it was a mistaken guess on their part. Uh, they're talking about Elijah in the Old Testament, and they're saying that Christ was calling for that, but that's not what Christ was doing. If you look back at verse 46 for just a few minutes, it says, he cried with a loud voice. Okay, that means people can hear him. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Christ was on the cross and he had to die for our sin, remember, a holy God could have nothing to do with our sin. At that exact moment when Christ was dying for all of our sins, we talk, you hear people say where God turned his back on Jesus for that moment on the cross. That doesn't mean, now remember, we're talking about two parts of the same God, right? Because you have God the Father, Jesus the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. So you have the Trinity. But for that moment when Christ was paying our sin debt and was died on the cross for our sin, for that, I don't know exactly how long, but for those moments, God had to turn his back and Christ had to do that as part of the Godhead. He had to do that all by himself. And remember, he's 100% God, but he's 100% man. So he's still, you know, he's feeling all this pain. He's feeling all this pressure. He's dying physically. I mean, he's not going to die, obviously, but he's dying physically. He does die, but uh, resurrected. But you think about, you think about that, and, and he feels the weight of God having, having where he has to bear it alone. And for the first time, Mark and I were talking about this the other day, for the first time, Remember, they're both eternal past, right? They've been around forever. There's no beginning for God or for Christ or for the Holy Spirit, okay? They've all been there. That's why in Genesis it says, let us make man in our image. Why there was more than one part of the Godhead, right? But they're all God. And remember, Jesus said he was God, right? And so as you look at that, for the first time ever, ever, he has to be separated from God. Now, physically, he was already, in a way, he was separated from God. But, I mean, he had to be separated from God because of the sin debt that was on him. And when you think about that, imagine one part of the Trinity feeling that separation from the other part of the Trinity. I mean, imagine that. And when he's saying that, he's not saying, like, he, he still knows God's in control. He still knows the purpose of why he went to the cross. So, he, He's just feeling it, though. He's feeling the brunt of having to do it alone. In your life, there's certain things that you had to go through alone. Us guys, we like to think we're helping our wife in the delivery room. But I guarantee you, I was no help to my wife in the delivery room. Breathe, honey. Yeah, yeah come a little closer and say that, because, you know, <laughs> just get right down where I can reach you, you know. But, uh, but you know, um, we think we're, like, helping in there, but really, the wife is going through that pain alone. And you feel you you know feel for it, or like if your you know if your child gets hurt or sick, you help them all you can because you love them. But you you you're not you know you're not the one going through it. And if you're like most parents, you would prefer it was you rather than your child. And it doesn't change when they get to be an adult. By the way, you wish you could go through it instead of what they're going through. But you think about him saying that now. He's, again, when you just take it at face value and you say, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It looks like he's just thinking about himself. Why'd you abandon me, God? Why am I going through this, God? No, he's just feeling the weight of it. And really, think about it. At that moment, the reason he has to feel that way is because of your and my sin. And so think about it. Who's he really thinking about there? Us. That he's reconciling man to God. 
He's proving again his love for us. And I don't know about you, but if you're a little down tonight, that should pick you up that somebody loves you that much. I mean, I honestly can't, I can't, I don't even know how many times my wife has forgiven me in all the years we've been married, but I know it's a lot. I know I can't count, I can't take off my shoes, count on my finger and toes and say, yeah, it was that many times. No, it was, it's been a lot. But you know, as many times as she's forgiven me, my Savior so many more times. So many more times. And the sad part is, it's many times for the same offense. And you know, you think you did it wrong, you know, and then you did it again, you did the same thing again, you did it again. It's like, he's got to be saying, are you dumb? <laughs> you know, think, think about you teachers that are watching. Do you have to ever, you just correct a kid once and they're perfect? Hey, stop talking in class. Oh, they'll never talk again. Mr. S, you talk to them. Okay, don't you ever talk in class? Oh, that fixes it, right? No, they still talk five minutes later. But you know, why do we keep doing it? Well, hopefully, some of you go, well, I have to, it's my paycheck. <laughs> but hopefully you're doing it because you really love and are concerned for that child. And you, and, but I think you know, Christ is the same way, only multiply that exponentially. And um, just, just, but again, it's just about other people. All right, let's go back to John 19. If you saved your spot, if not, it'd be on the screen. But uh, John 19 for number five is just I thirst. It's two simple words. But I want you to look a little closer in tonight. Let's look at John 19, 28. And this is right after he had, he had talked about his mother. And then it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And then I didn't have, um, I don't think I had Mark put that up there. But anyway, verse 29, I just want to read it real quick. It says, There was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled it, um, uh, they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Now, when you've been really thirsty on a hot day, have you ever said, Hey, can you hand me a glass of vinegar? I'd like to drink that. You know, people have told me before, you know, if you take a spoonful of, what's that vinegar, red, is it red vinegar? What's the vinegar you're supposed to take and eat good for you? What is it? Apple cider vinegar. That makes it sound good, right? Apple cider vinegar, this ought to taste good. I go up to Riley's, I get apple cider, I love it. You put that in your mouth and I'm like, never mind, I'll die sooner. I don't care if it's going to help me or not. I'm not drinking apple cider vinegar. But you know, I've never said when I'm thirsty I want vinegar to drink. I've never said that. And I want you to think about this. Now this is kind of a... I'm reading between the lines here, and this is a theoism, okay? This isn't guaranteed what it means in the scripture. But I really think, obviously he was obviously thirsty. That's a given, okay? If you're going through that on the cross, you're thirsty. But I'm, I'm telling you, the reason he took a drink of that vinegar is so he could say the next words. Have you ever had your mouth so dry you cannot speak? I have. There's been a couple times. In fact, usually when I wake up in the morning, I feel that way because I wear, I wear a CPAP machine. And usually when I, it has a humidifier in it, but usually when I wake up, I am like, it's like my, I'm just dry in parts. I feel like somebody's been, you know, just, it just dried me out. And so I can sometimes I, like, oh, I got to get some moisture in, in my mouth. But you know what? He took this vinegar, well, for one reason he took the vinegar <laughs> was to fulfill some prophecy, but... Um, in fact, this is right out of, we talked about this before, it's out of Psalm 69, 21. But 
he took it so he's going to be able to say other words in the future. So when he says, I thirst, you say, well, Theo, you said it wasn't about him. He didn't say anything. He didn't say, I thirst, because he knew they were going to give him some nice cold cup of water to drink. Okay, they didn't, he didn't say, I'm thirsty, and he knew he was going to get an ice cold Coca-Cola. You know, he didn't say, I thirst, and he was expecting, you know, whatever your favorite drink is, iced tea, whatever, whatever it is. But he knew when he said, I thirst, that they were going to give him vinegar. But yet he allowed him to do it anyway, one, to fulfill scripture, but two, so he could speak the rest of the words he was going to speak. And that's pretty amazing. If I was speaking my last words and couldn't speak anymore, I wouldn't want my wife to give me some vinegar, okay? I'd just be like, never mind, I don't need to say it. I'll just go, <laughs> that's it. Last words, don't give me vinegar. That was, was Theo's last words. Don't, don't make me drink vinegar. <laughs> but you know, Christ did it for that purpose. So really, the eye thirst was so he could say even more important things next. And what's the more important thing he's going to say? Look at verse 30. And that goes right into the next point. And number six thing he said was, um, that it is, it is finished. And so in, in John 19.30, it says, now, it says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, remember what I said, he's taking the vinegar just so he can say this, and he says, it is finished. The three greatest words that I think he said on the cross, and then look what it says, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So he took that, he took that drink of vinegar so he could say three words. It is finished. Man, I could do, you could do a Sunday sermon just on those three words and what all the meaning is, but basically he's saying, man is now redeemed. All their sin debt is paid for. Man is redeemed and gets to go to heaven. There's no more going to be any more blood sacrifice for sins. I've done it once. We looked at that in the high priest. I've done it once. I did it once for all. There's going to be no more of that. But he takes that drink of vinegar just so he can say, it is finished. Everything that the Lord planned. Um, my Bible has a little note that says, receipts for taxes that were found in the papyri have written across them the single Greek word, which means paid in full. And it says, the price for our redemption from sin was paid in full by our Lord's death. You think about that. One event is it pretty easy for us to get saved? Would you say it's pretty easy to get saved? Right? You've got to admit you're a sinner. You've got to trust and believe that Jesus really did die on the cross for us, for you. And you've got to realize that that's the only way to heaven. But I'd say it's pretty easy to get saved. Right? I would agree with that, right? But was it easy for Christ? No. No. So when he says it is finished, he did everything for us, and it's paid in full. And that just proves, again, his great love for us as people. And I think about, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to do a study or figure out how many people have lived on this earth since Adam and Eve. We know there's 7 billion people alive right now. But do you realize he died for every one of those 7 billion people? What does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves them all from the beginning. And just think of how many more, I don't know how long it's going to be before Christ returns, but how many more people are going to be on this earth in the future? We're multiplying faster than ever. I mean, we have more people and just, it's, it's, it's just amazing. 
Well, let's look at the, the, the next thing is going to be in Luke 23. This will be the seventh thing in Luke 23. And verse, starting in verse 44, but it's, this is where he says, Father, into thy hands. You see it there up on the slide. But look at Luke 23, verse 44. It was about the sixth hour. There was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And then... I want you to think about this for a minute. The person that put these in order, I'm not taking credit for this, but this is the order they believe that he said these things. And we looked at the last one when he said it is finished, um, and they both say right after him that he gave up the ghost. But when you look at this, he's saying, okay, even Christ is saying, into, into your hands, God, I commit my spirit. And he says that in, here in verse uh, um, 46, he says that, and he says, having said this, he go, gave up the ghost. Now, you say, okay, Theo, well, what, where can you get something for others out of that? Look at the very next verse. Look at verse 47. It says, now when the centurion, you guys all know what a centurion is, right? It's the soldiers that were putting him to death, basically. And it says here, when the centurion saw what was done, look what it says. He glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Do you see that? When he commanded giving up his spirit, here's this man that sees all that's taken place. He's taken in everything that's happened on the cross and Christ's life and the end of his life. And he says, the centurion glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. So you think about that. I personally think this centurion accepted Christ at that moment. And I, again, that's my, it doesn't say specifically, but it says he glorified God. And it said that he was, it does say that he was a man, but he said that he was a righteous man. See, we know that there's none righteous, no, not one, right? Except Christ. So I personally believe that that centurion accepted Christ as their Savior. Now, I may be wrong. It's possible. I could be wrong. I could be just thinking this guy, a lot of people call Jesus a great teacher, a great prophet. Maybe he just was acknowledging that he was a great man and he didn't acknowledge him as Lord. But based, based on him saying he glorified God, why did Christ say um, he was doing this? One was to reconcile man to God, but he was also doing it to glorify the Father. He did it to glorify the Father. And so, um, it, you know, it's in this. So just kind of this kind of where we'll wrap it up. And then verse, I'll read those last, uh, I think I had to go to verse 49, I think, Mark. But in verse 48, it says, All the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and return. Smote means to hit. So they hit their breast, and they did that because they realized what had taken place here today. And not just the centurion, but these guys. And it says, and they returned, and then verse 49 says, all of his acquaintance, in other words, Jesus' acquaintance, and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, and look what it says, beholding these things. Do you know that I talked about Mary and I talked about how it said that she, she ponders everything in her heart? Pondering and beholding are very close, similar words. And they beheld everything that had happened. You know what they started realizing? 
Things had to be clicking in their brain at a rapid pace. The disciples have to start realizing he told us he was going to die. He told us he wasn't going to be with us forever here on earth. He told us these things. He told us this. He told us that. And their brain's just clicking away going, he fulfilled that prophecy. He fulfilled that prophecy. He is the son of God. So you ever, ever kind of know something, but then when it happens, you're still shocked by it anyway? I think the rapture is going to be that way. We all know it's coming, but if the trumpet blew right now and we got sucked out of here in the twinkling of an eye, we would be like, what just happened? We know it's coming, but it's going to shock us. It says it's going to come like a thief in the night. and It's going to yank us out. Now, we may die on earth before that happens. We may not be here for that, you know, physically here on earth for that. But I think here, which shows that people were, were, were realizing that he was who he said he was. And uh, just realizing all these things come to pass. But uh, I look forward, as we close tonight, I look forward to, you know, Good Friday service. And, you know, Friday, you know, again, we ponder what he did for us on the cross. But then Sunday, Easter's coming. And I want you to, I want to encourage you, on Easter Sunday, I want you to really be lifting up uh, Brother Mike in prayer. Mike Moyer, he's going to be preaching Sunday. Uh, preaching Easter Sunday is a lot of responsibility, a lot of weight on his shoulders. And uh, Mike will do a great job, I have no doubt. He did a wonderful job last Sunday. Uh, that message was, was powerful. And so I'm looking forward to him preaching uh, Resurrection Sunday. And I'm excited about that. I am excited about hearing the kids sing. Uh, we got some other things we're doing too, but I'm just looking forward to that. So, But you be lifting Mike up in prayer because who God lifts up to speak and do different things the devil's going to be there knocking, trying to attack us, you know, trying to attack what's going on Sunday. Because, you know, more people probably get saved at Christmas and Easter than any other time, and the devil doesn't like it. devil's in a battle for the souls of man. And, uh, but let me encourage you, there's still a few more uh, uh, tracks back there for Easter to invite people. There's a couple yard signs left. So even if you haven't done it yet, get a few, pass them out. And then mainly, though, just be bathing it in prayer. Bathing it in prayer. But let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray for every invitation that's been handed out, for every yard sign that somebody's driven by and looked at it. Lord, for every uh, just personal invitation where we've asked somebody, Lord, we pray that all those invitations, that people will ponder them in their heart and that they'll come. And Lord, that they'll, it's, again, it's not so we fill up our church. It's not so we have a great attendance. It's all because we want them to know, have the joy that we have. These seven things that you said on the cross that proved your love for us. And Lord, I just pray for every invitation. And Lord, help Sunday to just be a great day. I, pray, I do pray for Brother Mike as he preaches. I pray you just give him power and encouragement. And Lord, just help him just to say exactly the message you want for us on Sunday. And Lord, I lift up our pastor again before you. I pray you continue to strengthen him physically, but also, Lord, strengthen him spiritually and emotionally. Lord, just help him right now. And Brother Peter as well. We give you the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a good night.